The people of Scotland have spoken, the votes have been counted, and the result is in. And by the power of democracy, the verdict is a very clear no. Scotland does not want the Hellman imp to return. I repeat, it's a no to the return of the Hellman imp and the Linwood factory will not reopen once more. One of the first responses to the news has come from the Proclaimers, who are delighted they won't have to change the words to that song. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's the one called Zong. Hello. He's the one called Richard. Hello. And I'm a 143rd scale model of Gareth Jones. Accurate in almost every detail. Except I'm not 143rd scale. I'm actually one to one scale model. A detailed one to one scale. Very detailed. And weathered Very as well. If you don't want to say so. <laughs> well, I do what I can. I don't know if you're a big car fan like me, the chances are that you own at least one model car somewhere. Richard, I know you've got Tacky and Nui in a Footwork Arrows, because I bought it for you. Because you gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Have you still got it in work? Is it on, yeah, it, it's it on is. my desk, yeah. Love I, look, it. I look at it. Uh, Makes me proud. With fondness, it's just behind my desk lamp, which has got a British Leyland badge on it. <laughs> and I don't have many other things. I mean, I have lots of things on my desk. It's a tip, frankly, but my desk at Top Gear does not have many other model cars on because the problem with having model cars of road cars in the Top Gear office is that inevitably, at some point, someone will be planning something, something that requires choreography or a stunt or something like that. And someone will go, hang on, let me show you what I think we should do. And they will grab the model. No! And then, and then they'll be showing, uh, yeah, and then it'll get blue tacked to something, you know, no! which will sort of work out, you know, we're doing a big fan formation of cars for a big shot, and the director will want to figure out how to arrange them for the crane shot. And, yeah. the model and then they're sort of get playing grabbed. about, yeah. and they get pushed, and then they yeah. crash into and each other. Sort of, and you go, yeah. I have, I actually do, I have got, and has survived thus far from that sort of fate and I don't know where it came from it just turned up one day and I bagged it because it's nice to me is a little bright yellow model of a Triumph TR7 Oh, and it's a really nicely yeah, done model. Nice. I can't remember who made it, but it's, it was really well detailed. One forty third scale. Uh, that, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm that, holding my fingers yeah. in the one forty third scale. The little ones, but not the really, 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 really little matchbox, ones that they're doing. Yeah. Wasn't the uh, UK version called the Lynx? No. The, what was it called? Gareth, you're asking a question as if you want to know the answer. Now you've asked, I'm going to have to answer it, even though it's not that interesting. What was it? The Lynx was the four seater. Fastback version with the Rover V8 in it, which was going to be made, and then Michael Edwards, to teach the unions a lesson, closed the Speak factory just before it went into production. I didn't realise it got that close. It was pretty close, yeah. They've still got one of the pre-production cars at the museum at Gaydon. Oh. It's a mixed bag of a thing, but it probably would have been quite nice with a Rover V8 in it. And, yeah. But this is actually... Rumbly. This, this is kind of an example of what we were talking about on the last show, about how a car whose looks are criticised at the time for being a bit awkward and odd and not working, mm. you know. No, we all grow into the looks of that car, and the TR7 is yeah. regarded as being a much better-looking car now. 
It's a good the convertible. I mean, the convertible's really quite a nice-looking car. The yeah. coupe with that flat back window. It's a bit mm-hmm. awkward. It's a bit it's... awkward, but yes. Well, the thing is about the TR7, and by extension, Harris Mann, the bloke who designed it, who gets a lot of flack for the TR7, for the Allegro, for the lesser extent for the Princess, all of which he did. But TR7 has that crease up the doors, mm-hmm. that curving yeah. crease, which famously Gijaro said, "Oh my God, they've done they it to the other side." As well, yeah. and I don't know that he's ever admitted he really said that, but it's always attributed to him. Now, the thing is, look how many cars now have got that kind of styling. Yeah. Feature. Oh, the blade, yeah. it's all over. Yeah, this is the thing, and nobody yeah. Gijaro doesn't mince around motor shows, going, "Oh my God, they've done it to the other side as well." Oh my God, they've done it to the other side as well. Oh my God, oh, one yeah. out now. Maybe it's, they should have but, built a model and studied it first. But it was a good line. But yeah, but we're talking. Yeah. About modeling. We've yeah. modeling and I've recently been getting back into car modeling like you I've got a bunch of 143rd model cars mostly Le Mans winners or mm-hmm. particular F1 cars mm-hmm. and there's also the category of cars that I've owned and then there's the other category the catch-all cars that I like but I recently dug out a couple of old model kits that had been sitting in their boxes for years I mean you know, 10 years odd and I'd put them to one side and over the course of a couple of moves they just you know haven't seen the light of day and recently got inspired to take a look at them again and so my 124th scale Tamiya Alfa Romeo 155 V6 Ti came out I'd done a few of the early stages on that but it had been one third completed just sat in the box for years so I actually got around to finishing it off and doing it properly and I have to say, it turned out beautifully. The pictures. Think, have you seen the yeah, pictures? Yeah, I've seen a couple no, of pictures. They're really good. You? He's done a good I'll, job. Maybe I'll tweet them as well. But I used to make quite a few, mostly Tamiya and Airfix models, as a kid. And for me, part of the appeal of the models was always the detail. Mm. You can lift off the hood and there's plenty of engine detail. And there's a lot of interior detail. And so it was worth doing all of that stuff really nicely. And like I say, it just worked out beautifully. And so it's inspired me to now finish off another couple of others. And so next up is the Revel 112th scale Ferrari 126C2. Oh, nice. That's a beauty. Are well, you a better modeler now than when you were a young boy or a young man oh yeah way way better I mean I guess I've still got two or three of the models that I made when I was a kid I was either just too impatient then or just didn't know various tricks so a lot of the models that I made then, you know, were deficient to some degree. Towards the tail end of my youthful modelling career, I certainly did make a couple of beautiful ones, but with a bit more patience mm. and the availability of so much more information on the internet, whether it's sort of painting tips or little odd modelling tips. Things like sort of having had a bit more experience of working on actual cars and doing a bit more sort of real-life filling and sounding and that kind of stuff has Translates has, has back helped. to modelling. Translates back. Well, that's what we used to say about flying model aircraft, which I did a huge amount of as a kid that everything that you have to know in model aircraft engineering, you need to know for full-size aircraft engineering. Mm. It's exactly duplicate, except it's far more complicated at the smaller level and when you're flying the thing remotely. So modelers are usually better aircraft manufacturers than full-size aircraft manufacturers. Do you ever say that to an aircraft manufacturer? There are many people who fly full-size aircraft or build homemade kits and you say to them we do this and 90% will agree with you because they fly model aircraft as well a lot of full-size pilots fly model aircraft it's strange isn't it that you do mm. your job all day and then at the weekends you'd go and do your job but a tiny version yeah, of yeah, it yeah 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 I don't find myself uh, compelled to write some articles, but at like kind of two point font or something like that from a distance. <laughs> no, but you do play with cards, but you do, mm-hmm. and, that's and that's in a race. And we do this. You, know, you do that on your do this. Exactly. Yeah. My modelling tip for working with polystyrene was to make a filler using polystyrene cement mm. and talcum powder. 
That's what I used to do. Oh, that's interesting. And paint that down the seam where you've got the two halves of the body shell, and it flows and it fills that gap invisibly. That's my tip for modelling. I might give that a try. These days, I like to buy diecast things. Like you, I always get them when I go to Le Mans and other races and online. And it allows you to own cars that you would never perhaps even see in the real world, let alone own. I own over three. How many cars have I got? 143rd scale cars? A couple hundred, I think, now. This is a Le Mans car. It's the Rondo that won in... I can't see. Is that 1983? My glasses aren't on. 80. Yeah. A bit earlier than I thought. Perhaps the only Le Mans winner to win in a car of his own name. That was Mr. Rondo driving. Isn't that a funny looking thing? Yeah. Look it up. That sounds possible. Uh, the Jack Brabham of the endurance race? Yes, he is, yeah. And look, look, I've got the McLaren F1 GTR as well. Look at that. I'm lovely the one that won in whatever year that did as well. Mm. Too dark in here. Now, have you ever made any 143rd things? Because I did actually. Yes. A few years ago, after I made one 143rd model of the Audi R8 which actually did turn out beautifully. It was one of those mixed resin and white metal and photo parts kits, which when you sort of see them in their unfinished state look a little bit crude, I think. Well, that's my first impression. But actually they do work out beautifully if you do them nicely. But I was almost sort of embarrassed into buying it because I'd gone into a model car shop and I was browsing around as you do. I was very taken by one of the Audi R8s that was on display. I think I maybe picked out one other car and I was just like, I'll have that and the Audi R8. There wasn't a price on the Audi R8 that was on display. And, of course, your little good 143rd cards are usually sort of 25 quid-ish. You know, that kind of book. Sometimes Mm, they're more, sometimes they're less. So, you know, the one was 25 quid, and then there was the Audi. The R8 was 140. Oh, what? I'm sorry. And it was because it was a nicely, professionally made Uh version of this little kit. I wasn't going to pay 140 quid for it, but I liked it. But I did buy the kit that the professional model had used mm. to make that one. I was slightly sort of embarrassed into buying the, uh, the, the resin model version yeah. of it. And it did turn out absolutely beautifully. I've got another couple of the Le Mans Audi winners now, but that was the first one. Have you got all the cars that you've owned now as models? No, and of course that was why I got the Tamiya 124th Alpha 155 in the first place, because that was kind of buying models of cars that I've owned, so. albeit I had the road-going version not Alessandro Nanini's DTM car, which this is. So you're planning but, to um, finish this model completely and then allow it to have a kind of spectacular rollover accident <laughs> at uh, Donington? Maybe? Is that what happened? Oh, I can't remember, or Castle Coombe. I, anyway, yeah. a question though, because this is nice, I'm liking this as a project, I'm thinking I might start to do this. Sh- you, you keep you you get a model of I every car you've owned. Have you not done that? No, I've I got a model of... I've got a little uh, model of, well, I wouldn't say that, but then a lot of what I do is, and I'm quite happy to get on board with this, but at the moment I just have a little model of uh, Suzuki Swift Sport, because yeah. I used to have one of those, which I bought in Japan as well, and it's in a box with Japanese writing on it, which I thought was rather groovy. And I've got a small pewter model of a Rover 75, which the ex-PR man from Rover, I think, found in his loft and very kindly Excellent. sent to me, because he knew at that point I owned over 75 uh, I've long since sold the car but the pewter model which is probably now worth more I've kept <laughs> uh, no I like this but what I was going to ask is do you and are you a stickler for all of these models being the same scale so you can pretend that it's an enormous car park of all the cars you've no I've had to give up on that because no, but you did originally hope to achieve it it crossed my mind however mm. I could only find a Volvo P1800 in 143rd ah. I couldn't resist the 124 
fourth one five five Tamiya. So mm. uh, well, uh, so this is brilliant. So I'm going to have to have a mix. This has here. never occurred to me to have models of all the cars available. Tomorrow I'm going to be on eBay. I'm not. Tomorrow's my wedding anniversary. I'd be really bad. Actually, tomorrow I'm going for a lovely lunch with my wife. This has actually given me an interesting problem though because I went and bought a. 124 Hasegawa 944 turbo kit to do after I've done the, uh, the Revel Ferrari. You're going to do it in and your colours? Of course, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm going to overlook the fact that it's a left-hand drive rather than a right-hand drive. Overlook that. But the thing is, I do want it to have the right wheels. And the thing is, the, mm-hmm. the Hasegawa kit, lovely though it is, mm-hmm. it has the wrong wheels. It has the teledials rather uh, than the yeah. uh, Design 90 wheels. So I'm now seriously considering buying a whole other and actually it turns out quite hard to track down <laughs> Fujini 124th uh, to get the right wheels. 964 kit in order to get the right wheels I'm holding up my 143rd scale Sora model to the microphone it doesn't have the right wheels it is white like my Sora doesn't have the right wheels and it annoys you just a little bit doesn't it it, it. annoys me too much yeah. and so also I, I think the spoiler on the boot ought to be slightly larger than it actually is but yeah. it does say Toyota Sora on it and it is right hand drive and it is Japanese Japanese domestic market. It's not a Lexus SC300. It is the Sora. But you've no idea how happy that makes me. I've uh, got the real car and I've got the model sitting on my computer. It's the one I look I at every day. I do have an idea how happy it makes you. Yeah, you do. I you do know very idea. well. It's, it's, I don't so know. I just, I, 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 the one I'd be interested in is actually having the models of the cars I used to own because yeah, I was yeah. feel nostalgic and look at them. And exactly, yeah, exactly. So tomorrow... Uh, the Odyssey begin- no no oh, sorry, yeah. not tomorrow wedding anniversary got to remember that don't yeah. spend all day on eBay no, buying I, I, model I, I, cars it's just, until the weekend it's, weekend. It's, weekend it's the same for me Richard I've got one 24th scale models of all my ex-girlfriends as well did I say anything out loud just then <laughs> yeah afraid so how is he faster than me through the middle sector uh, I can't tell you that, Sebastian. Performance-related radio messages are now banned. Oh, no, wait, they're not. Uh, I don't know, apparently some of them are. What are you saying? Can you tell me where I'm losing time or not? I don't know. Uh, hang on, I'm going to put you on to Christian. Okay, you're listening to Red Bull Radio, and here's another one from The Jam. Everything's okay, back in the UK. Everything's okay, I know we run a parallel course, us three, you know, we're always doing something about cars or repairing a car or driving a coupe with a big engine rear-wheel drive. I make a podcast, you make a website for the heck of it about cars, but you and I have run a parallel course in a different way recently. We've driven cars that are related. I've been driving this Mercedes GL350 AMG Sport. Blue Tech, and you've driven the Durango. Durang- Dodge Durango. Dodge Durango. The GL Mercedes is a stretched M-Class. Yes. The M-Class also, before Mercedes and Chrysler went their separate ways, donated its underparts to the current Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the Dodge Durango is a sort of stretched Jeep Grand Cherokee. So it's four-wheel drive. I don't know the Durango. No. I can't picture it. It's no. Well, now there are is a it rear-wheel of drive. You can have it with four-wheel drive. Yeah. But the one that I borrowed in the US had the 5.7 litre Hemi V8 engine oh. and rear-wheel drive. Hello. Which I thought was rather interesting, though it was bone dry when I was there because it's California in the summer and because I didn't turn the traction control off. But I thought if you turn the traction control off and it was wet, 
I think you could have you one go, almighty power slide that may or may not end in an accident. I don't know. <laughs> or may never actually end. That's the alternative, hmm. that it wouldn't end until you took out an object of comparable size to the Durango, such as downtown Houston. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then you'd probably have a lot of insurance forms to fill in. Well, I reckon the GL350 Hydro probably weighs the same as downtown Houston. It's three and a quarter tons. I've driven that Which car. Is an awful lot. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I remember driving that car and when I first got into it, I was sort of intrigued about what was going on back there because there was a sense that in the third row of seats in the boots, there could have been some people and I wouldn't have known. <laughs> so I went, I went back and had a look and it had the same sense you get when you go into a cathedral and you look with wonder upon the vastness of the building stretching before you to the glorious window at one end. And I was at the back looking forward to the windscreen and thinking... That's a long way away Mm. and could have been designed by Sir Christopher Wren. There's a sort of scale to it that's quite impressive. See, you say cathedral for the GL, if we're going to run these two things parallel... I would say battleship. It felt like looking down there at the yes, long end of a I'd battleship. If you were standing on the deck of an aircraft carrier and going, mm. I can see the other end, but it's far away. Mm. Did you have good cameras and, of course, the now de-rigger hot air balloon hovering above the vehicle giving you that top-down image in the yeah, Durango? which I think, no, it didn't have that. It had a reversing camera, mm-hmm. which is or is about to become a legal requirement in the US. Is it really? So all cars will have them, uh, yeah. It's funny, actually, because I'm driving a Toyota Igo at the moment, and I was quite surprised the first time I put that in reverse, and that's got a reversing camera. Really? I mean... That image is smaller than actually looking over your shoulder, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. It's sort of like a microscopic view of a world you can already see. You might as well have backup cameras in your shoes. It It, just seems like... They're so cheap these days. I mean, you know, know, how how much does it cost to put a camera on a little screen? Well, I had a wider thought of that, because the iGo has also got... It's that new one, which you may have seen, that Go Fun Yourself, that rather odd ad campaign, but it's got a touchscreen in it. Now, this is a sort of up-spec model, but I mean to check this at what point down the range you lose the touchscreen. Because I was thinking, that's incredibly impressive that a small, cheap car can have a touchscreen. And I thought, actually, no, it's not. Because well, mobile phones every happen, phone, that, yeah. yeah. In fact, all cars should have touchscreens. And come on, car manufacturers, pull your socks. The iGo, I reckon that the distance between your eye and the screen with the camera yeah. is probably greater than turning around and looking over your shoulder at there's, the rear back and the end of the car. There is a sense of that. It's, yeah, it's mm. extraordinary. But anyway, I don't know. I guess that's your dog. You're right. The technology has become so cheap. Mm. And like I said, in the US, I think it has become a legal requirement. If mm. not, it's certainly imminent. Fantastic. Will they make it legally possible to have cameras instead of wing mirrors then? Do you think that'll come soon? Well, I think they are legally possible in Europe now because the VW XL1, that fantastic yeah. and futuristic super hyper eco car, yes. which they're selling in very small numbers now, building in very small numbers because it's quite expensive, that's got them. Mm. I think they're allowed now. They're sort of the eternal feature of concept cars, aren't they? Always concept cars have to have cameras yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of mirrors and have done for about 30 or 40 years. But getting people in the real world to accept them, I think, is a bit harder. Mm. But just thinking about this a bit critically, a wing mirror is a thing that sticks out slightly awkwardly from the side of a car. Mm. I'm pretty sure that you could think of a way of replacing your wing mirrors with a camera and Easily, screen combination yeah, yeah. Yeah. that wouldn't stick out of the side of the yeah. car. Whether yeah. it's doing some kind of sort of projection onto a bit of glass inside or no, it's, it's all possible. you know, you could even do some kind of head up display thing that would yeah, yeah. trick your eye into thinking that the wing mirror is where yeah. it was. But that's why one of the reasons why they like them and why that VW has them is of course because it's aerodynamics. If you take those ready great appendages off the side of the car and just have these little sort of nipple things that have camera in them hmm. you've given Reduce yourself a little drive. aerodynamic Reduce advantage the area, which yeah. also because since the EU changed the rules and now there is a mandated size of door mirror relative I think to the size of the car or the length of the car 
So door mirrors have got a lot bigger in recent years. And I drove a couple of old cars, but not super old cars, sort of 80s and 90s things quite recently. And one of the things that was really striking was how tiny the door yeah. mirrors are, to the point where actually you're just thinking they're too small, because we're now used to having, essentially, the mirrors off a Seddon Atkinson lorry <laughs> yeah. stuck to the side of your car. Yeah. The GL did feel truck-like, talking mm. about a lorry, but only in scale. I don't think it felt heavy to lump around, because actually I switched back to the Sora, having given the GL back the other day, and the steering of the Sora is heavier than that GL, but it mm. is an American car, and Americans like to have fairly lightweight steering for their big SUVs. Well, you know, it's, yeah, they're, it's, they're family cars over it's there, a, they? Yeah, it's a, well, yeah, it's a German car, isn't it? But it's built in America, in the Mercedes American market. Alabama, with the yeah. M-Class. yeah. That's the thing I felt when I drove that GL in the UK. I liked it because it's sort of almost ridiculous, big, yeah. well-engineered thing. It's just yeah. that it's basically too big for Britain because it's not meant for here. I don't think yeah. they sell that many, do they? They sell yeah. a lot of M-classes. Too big generally for Britain. We took it to North Wales and we took it down to Gloucester to drive. <laughs> Violet noticed that driving through the lanes in Gloucester over these sort of cloughs, single carriage lanes, B-road would have been a fanciful word for this, we have D roads in this country. Everybody gets out of the way. Everybody pulls over. Mm. And Violet didn't like that aspect of the car. It has such a presence, and it's that enormous bluff front end. If you look at the GL, mm. it's not just a barn door, but it's the rest of the barn as well. It's a good-looking car, but in mm. a fairly brutal way. It's brutal, very, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's aggressive-looking. It's, it's very yeah, aggressive. Yeah. It's got it's quite a male-looking car, quite a macho-looking car. Mm. I keep comparing I it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it is macho. I, it, it is good-looking. If you compare it to the new Range Rover, the Range Rover is imposing, but it's stately. It has a sort of a grace about it. The GL has a brutishness to it. If I was going to use this car to tow a horse box or tow five jet skis or tow the Queen Mary or something, you kind of want that. You want it to look like it's going to do that. It didn't feel like a truck, but that's the performance of a truck. It was solid, man. You've got a shooting brake now. You have the gnarly knob for the command system. Yeah. yeah. That is a good old clunk, chit clunk. You'll probably not notice unless you drive something else. All the other cars seem like little twitty-titty things now, you know? Yeah, I think also they've played with that Mercedes generic controller thing that Mm. I think in their medium-sized and big stuff, it feels like a really quality thing. Because like a, it's like that, yep. that's there for life. Yep. Funny enough, in the little A class and the CLA and stuff, it's a bit cheap and gritty and it's not quite as good. It's like mm. they just saved a few euros on doing it. But in the big stuff, it's a metal knob and it moves with this beautifully slick. Yeah. But every stop it, on it is firm. Feels it's, reassuring. Well, expensive. It's, it's like you'd it's want the, the, on the volume control on a very expensive German yeah, amplifier yeah, yeah, yeah. from the seventies. Well, firm yeah. but not clicky. You know, it doesn't go chack chack chack. It sort of goes. No, that's it. It's, 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 there's an engineer. It's like as a soft end to each, yeah. and just the right amount of smooth resistance. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. Someone spent a while on it. I found myself thumping the car when you get in. You get in, you go, solid. You know, you go, Ooh, look how solid you are. You, you know, you notice that stuff. And if you're paying eighty-three grand or something, yeah, well, yeah, it's sixty grand plus twenty grand. Oh, I was going to say, extras. right? Yeah, you kind of want it to feel like it's made out of titanium well, or I, something. Yeah, it really well, does. I, I don't know that I want an 80 grand car to inspire me to hit it every time I get in. That, that just doesn't seem right somehow. <laughs> it's got a tow hook that pops out the back that's hidden. Press a button, mm. out comes the tow hook. I've never seen that uh, on a car before. Oddly enough, my shooting brake got that. Yeah, I've never it? used it. Yeah. Really? Well, because it's a car from stock and right. they've been spec with a tow bar for some reason. So, mm. yeah. It had everything conceivable. God, imagine something fantastic and ask me if it was on this car. Oh, Lasers. God. Yeah, had it. 
I thought so. Yeah. Actually, do you know that that's coming? That is, uh, that's yeah, here. Loudy, you've got it on the headlamps, haven't they? Loudy, yes. Loudy, loudy. Nicky loudy. Um, <laughs> what is the point of a laser headlight rather than any other kind of... You might uh, want to cut through the, steel. I've just been reading about this. Well, uh, yes, because if good. you encounter Sean sense. Connery as James yeah. Bond and you wish to put his knackers in peril yep. by getting him to talk, you can press uh, the you use the headlights in your Strap car. Strap him to a gold there's table. Also, the more sensible answer is that there's a load of bump about mm-hmm. colour temperature and they can play tunes on them so they can adjust the range and the dip and all that, which they can also do with LEDs and regular lights. Okay, well, yeah, okay, colour temperature, see that, that's... But that's the colour temperature is one of the big selling points, yes. So is that they're getting particular colour out of these Okay. Yeah, oh. supposedly. It is one of the most autonomous cars, if not the most autonomous car I've driven, this GL. It has all the Distronic thing, adaptive cruise control. But it's got a piece of technology on board, which, if I were to burp aggressively at Violet, sitting alongside me, the car would compensate. It's got crosswind stability. Uh-huh. I knew something like that was going to happen. I knew that wasn't yeah. actually going to happen. It has got a crosswind stability. It has. For a car that size, that tall... And it's that tall that, you know, in order to get to the roof of the car, I had to stand on the 21-inch wheels to load the stuff onto the roof rack. It was really tall. You could bat down the motorway, and it just felt stable, and it kept its distance. And it Did it have the of... airmatic suspension? Yes, it used to sigh. It would sit down. You'd Did it, it sigh? It... If you'd yeah. switch it on, and then you'd, you'd go to open the boot, yeah. and you'd hear the car, the car would just go... Well, I didn't hear it. Didn't hear it. My my (laughs) one does that because I've got automatic on my CLS. I thought it was a psychological thing where you stop and you sit, and then you think, "Am I sinking here or something?" But the car would actually just Mm. sit gently down. It would no, it shouldn't do that. It did. It did. Really? I think on the four by fours you can adjust the height. You can adjust the height so you can get in. It's got the same as a Range Rover. It's got the sort of crouching thing, but it should never drop because it's valved so that it doesn't. It's not like a Citroen where it sits down when you leave Mm. it. Shouldn't well, do that. Well, this did. On two occasions, I stopped mm. it and I sat there and noticed it. Hang on, we're sinking. Maybe it was just the mass of the car. It was sinking well, into softer yeah, ground. Road, Mate, road softer ground yeah. is a possibility. <laughs> Let's not. It's a very real possibility. Out. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. yes. Uh, you find it quite hard to move off afterwards. It just left divots <laughs> in, a, in a road surface. No, that aromatic's really good. I've never driven. I, oh, maybe I did drive the GL with it. I can't remember now. But certainly in the E classes and the CLS, and well, I've got it on my CLS, and that aromatic, mm. I think makes cars fantastically good long distance because there's something mm. that's underrated about a car when you're doing long journeys in it is the way they pitch yeah. and move around yeah. not over bumps as such but just over sort of the undulations of the roll yeah. and there's something on the air suspension because I think air suspension sometimes is not actually as good at low speed ride it tends to sort of trip up over bumps a little bit yes steel. but it's got a bit smoother but, over but the yes. keeping the body sort yeah. of levelled yeah. out and just giving the car a really relaxing rolling oh. gait as mm. you're going along Mm. and I can do hundreds of miles in that Merc I've got now and it is the most relaxing car I've ever driven well, in, this, in that respect it's this thing brilliant. is the nearest thing I suppose there is to a Merc S-Class 4x4 do you know what I mean I the think that's the gist isn't it that's mm. what they're sort of pitching it well I came to this conclusion having driven it around can we switch to a smaller less exotic car and we got into this and it really felt my god you know good measure of the car we never touched the air conditioning once ever it was just set and it was perfect you're missing would have hated uh, it it's too it, blowy uh, constantly yeah, nothing it was just airy and lovely and it had this grace about it but I came to this conclusion then I was reading about the updates you know they're updating all the GL series cars now mm. and they're going to rebrand them slightly as well mm. and the next generation GL what they're going to call it 
the GLS. I know, which and to me is GLE a, and then the is an upspec Vauxhall Cavalier or Talbot <laughs> Solara. I don't think GLS is, is a good name for a car. I see what they're trying to do, mm, but yeah. no. They're making it easy to understand. It. I mean, it's, it's not, is it? It's confusing. Well, I don't know, maybe it's Only for those of us who remember that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, well, and, and to me, a link between the GL and the S-Class mm. is nothing more than marketing. It's yeah. kind of thing that makes sense in marketing terms. Mm. It doesn't make sense in sort of machine terms. It doesn't make sense. Well, what they're trying to force through is, I think, that people now readily accept that a Range Rover is a luxury car and yep. it is a rival to an S-Class or a 7 Series or what have you. And the GL is not seen quite that way. It's just seen as a bit of a sort of stretched M-Class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they want to, they want to sort of go, no, no, this like, is yeah. something separate. This is big. It's big because it has lots of room in the back and you can relax. Space is the ultimate luxury. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 25 miles per gallon. I got average out of it. Really quickly, because I was just going to say a little bit about this Durango. It's sort of American cousin. There's two things about it that I think compare quite interestingly to the GL. The first is that it has a petrol V8. It was doing 11 US miles per gallon, which I did the maths on. That's around 13, 14 UK miles per gallon. Ouch. But compensating for that, I also did the maths. It's a massive car, seven seats. It's actually not bad. The interior feels quite well made. It's not up to the standards of, say, a GL or certainly not an Audi or a Range Rover, but... Interior is perfectly functional. It's got a terrific digital speedometer. The font is like the hero font from a movie poster, like Captain America or something. Yeah. That's no accident. They've done that deliberately. Mm. They had a little bit of fun. You don't have to have that because it's a TFT. You could just have a virtual speedo. But I had it on the superhero font. <laughs> I wanted to know what I'm doing. 55. Superhero 55. It feels like it's a good car. I did yeah. what we wanted of it, which is to get a lot of space because we had a lot of stuff carting around the baby and things like that. And we got all my wife's relatives and things moving them around. And I thought it was a pretty good car. And mm. it was a very good car. And I discovered that you're getting a whole hunk of metal and a Hemi V8 for the equivalent of £23,000. Is that right? And I thought, well, really? it's, pretty good. it's quite hard to argue it's, against oh, that. I wonder what the GL sells for in America. Yeah. What does the GL Not £23,000, no, no, I'll, no. I'll guarantee you that. Until I drive the Range Rover, the long wheelbase Range Rover, I doubt if I'll ever drive a 4x4 as stately as that. Alluding to it being the S-Class 4x4 is no bad thing because I can't imagine anything else getting closer to it. Very good. <laughs> Hi, this is Catherine Legg. This episode of Gareth Jones on Speed is brought to you by the sound of Formula E. Oh good, my clothes are dry. Gareth Jones on Speed. Dear Motor Industry. I have followed your thinking for many years and recently have become confused over one issue. The car that I have always known as the Freelander is now called the Discovery Sport. Please can you explain this yours, Gareth Jones, a fan of cars. Is there a rational explanation for this, Richard? Honestly, yeah. If you ask Land Rover, they'll say that the Freelander name doesn't mean anything outside of the UK. Mm-hmm. And the Discovery name does. Mm-hmm. So, so having another more. sort of... But the Discovery name doesn't really, because they had to drop it in America. It's known as the LR3. 
three in America, yeah, isn't bringing, it? Yeah, well, LR4 four now. yeah. And the next Discovery, which is coming in a year or two, will mm. go back to being Discovery all around the world. And I think that'll just be Discovery, <laughs> so, like, uh, in the way yeah. that the main Range Rover is just the Range, Range Rover. Range Rover... Uh, yeah, mm. and then you have Range Rover Sport and Range Rover Evoque. But you see, where this falls down for me is that the Range Rover, I think people regard as Range Rover being a make in its own right. Mm-hmm. No one says, "Oh, what are you driving?" Oh, I've got a Land Rover Range Rover. They've taken the Land Rover mm. badges off the Range Rover. It was on for a while, wasn't it? It's they seem to then. come and go on this one because they go. And I remember going to see the Evoque when the Evoque was first announced, and they hadn't let on drive it, but they had one in a studio in Warwickshire. And I went up there to see it for Evo magazine mm. and interview Jerry McGovern, their design bloke. Is Jerry McGovern from Northern Ireland? No. Because he sounds like he should be. No, he's a brummy. Oh, how disappointing. <laughs> I was hoping Jerry it. McGovern might have someone else doing his voice for him. No. So when, I, when we were looking at the Evoke in the studio, and apparently he'd argued with management to take the Land Rover badges off, mm. but now I think they're back on again. I'm losing track of this. Oh. So anyway, Range Rovers, I think, are sort of seen as a make. Yeah. And, and yeah, people it, it, accept Range Rover, Range Rover is It's the, grown is the apart from Land Rover. Yeah. People know that it used to be kind of the same them. thing. But, then, but yeah. Land Rover is the make for Discovery. I yeah. don't think anyone thinks it's the Discovery car company makes these things. Mm-hmm. It's a Land Rover. And then Discovery is a model. And then to sort of try and leverage this into sport. And then they're saying that Discovery will become a, a family, presumably like Range Rover, there'll be three or four models. Yep. I don't think this works. I think this is... It's this baffling, is like, yeah. It's baffling. Yeah. It's like yeah. Ford going, well, now, Mondeo is a well-known name now and really Focus isn't working so well. So the Focus is going to become the Mondeo Sport. Mm. And then what we might do is also get rid of Fiesta and we're just going to call that the Mondeo Light or something. No, just work harder at making the name stick. I mean, mm. that to me is what you have a marketing department for. Yeah. And uh, Freelander's quite a good word. If you're saying, oh, no one's heard of it around the world, we'll make them hear of it. Because yeah, yeah. it's a nice-looking car, this new Discovery well, Sport. I- why not just ram it down Why people's throats? Sell it a bit better. Land Rover's oh, yeah. a good yeah. make, isn't it? People have heard of them. I mean, for God's sake, they but keep using the word premium call, call it just a sub-brand vomit, or whatever it is. but they are yeah. an upmarket make now. I reckon that the reason that Land Rover are doing this is that they're shelving the name Freelander and will probably use it on a even smaller Land Rover, smaller than the Evoque, but not the new Defender. There will yeah. be something about the size of the Mini... Oh, hang on, that's a big car. The Mini Countryman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be a Land Rover about that size, and I bet that will get the Freelander name. Well, I wonder if they'll call years. it, that'll that, be the small Discovery, and they'll call it the Discovery Freelander. Oh, I've no, no, I'm joking. Mind. I could, could you imagine it? I mean, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, it's very yeah. hard naming cars and coming up with new words now, because they've all been copyrighted. So yeah, yeah, they yeah. own Freelander. The yeah. original Freelander, first generation one, I think actually on the badge it said Freelander, and it had a little R, registered trademark thing, mm. after it, just to make the point, mm. we've made this word up, and now it's so ours. don't copy it. The only thing I was going to say as well Freelander is, I, I have one. another problem with the Freelander Sport. Sorry, yeah. it's not Freelander Sport, is it? It's the Discovery it's Sport. sport. See? Yeah. It's confusing. Yeah. The other problem I have with it is the way that it looks, which I think it's a nice-looking car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No question about that. But... I it's a thought Saab they'd said, three, yeah, it? it's got a bit of Saabi, that pillar yeah. and things. But no, it's the fact that they'd said the Range Rover, as they always say, design language, emanates out now from the Evoque with the shape of the headlights. And then the Range Rover Sport sort of looks like a slightly more grown up version of that. And the full fat Range Rover looks like the big daddy. Mm, yeah. But you can see there's a lineage in little bits and pieces of details and things like that. There's a continuity through the design mm. and that they were going to come up with a new design language for Land Rover. Mm. And this is the first iteration of it. And to me, it just looks like a sort of evoke. cut and shut Evoke. Yeah. Evoke plus. XL. Yeah, Evoke, evoke plus. plus, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's all well and good. The Evoke's a very successful car. Yeah. 
But don't fanny around telling us you're going to think of a separate design language for Land When you're just yeah. using just it gonna, for the la- yeah. I think they're going to wear out that set of design cues. To be fair, it is a difficult job. It's a very difficult oh, yeah. job yeah, coming yeah. up with. But I think it's particularly hard to come up with a new design language for a new Yeah, I mean, you've got Land lots Rover of baggage now. behind you because Land Rover and Range Rover, you know, it's all very important, isn't yeah. it? That you keep the feel of the family. A trivia question for you. Do you remember what they were going to call the Discovery before they actually named it the Discovery? I know this, yeah. Uh, Do you remember it? Don't. Sean Connery is a clue. It was going to Goldfinger. Thunderball. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. <laughs> the man who would be Mish king. Money Penny. The Land Rover <laughs> man who would be king. They were going the to... The Land Rover Red October. So uh, 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 they were going to Zardoz. call it the Highlander. Correct. And I think one of the reasons they didn't is because Toyota owned that, or did that come later? Because there is a Toyota Highlander. Because I was thinking about this just the other day when I was looking at this Discovery Sport, and I was thinking... Well, if they didn't want to call it the Freelander because of associations with the old car, I want to move on. Mm. Why not think of a new name? Why don't they dig up Highlander? And then I remember that Toyota now have that and make Mm. there, I think, in the US and other countries. But a shame for Land Rover because it would be a terrific name for a... Yeah, and there are plenty of other Sean Connery films available. It's just the Land Rover Untouchables. Gathering It's not a bad name, actually, if you're going to do a hardcore off-roading version. You've been listening to Richard Porter. Goodbye. Uh, no, actually, sorry, I've changed my name to Zog Sport. Oh, sorry, Zog Sport. No, no, no that's, Zog that, Plus. That's my you? new energy drink coming out. Zog Sport. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the subject, how much of- booze has it got? <laughs> I'll leave you with this thought. It's a brand issue. Oh, we're talking yeah. about brands and names on it. Vauxhall. There's some good cars in the Vauxhall range. I think Vauxhall should give up calling themselves Vauxhall because I can't see myself owning and driving a car called a Vauxhall. It's just too old school. I would revamp Vauxhall. Not Vauxhall Sport. I would call them VX. I'd buy a VX. I know they have a Sport brand VXR, but if the car was a VX insignia, I think I'd have it. That's my pennies man. Shall I go there? See ya. Bye. Bye. Ideas as well. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!